1: What? I don't know, just the noise you made them was funny, that I might include no. that as the intro. <laughs> what, that noise you made them was just so funny for no reason. No. Right,
0: ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the intro. That was cool. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Clown Podcast. I'm Dan Rowenson joined by John Townley this lovely Monday morning to discuss Aston Villa's win over Fulham and look ahead to the next uh, fixture this weekend and also answer your audience questions. We've had loads sent in, some serious, some nonsense as always. Uh, John, how are you mate? Everything okay?
0: Yeah, doing well. Thank you Dan. Great weekend for the Villa. Um, Moving back into top four. I I was Mm. reluctant to kind of look at Tottenham's result during the game. Um at half time I didn't even check, but it was like kind of announced at Craven Cottage and it was like, Wonder Wolves, and I was like, Oh what? <laughs> so um I checked it again like straight after half time when the second half started and Wolves we'll, uh, Tottenham had equalised straight away. So I was like, oh, Okay, well, as long as we do our bit. Um but yeah, at full time I changed my match report because it was like, Oh, actually Villa and you know, back in the top four. So fully expected Tottenham just to make a comeback, but they didn't. And I watched the highlights and they probably should have lost by a few goals. Mm -hmm. I won't continue to talk about Wolves and Tottenham, but on the way back (laughs) from the game, I was with some Wolves fans as well. Um, And they were talking Villa up a lot and saying how Tottenham aren't as good as Villa and that sort of stuff. So yeah, really good weekend for Villa. Excellent performance. Um, Shame that we had to have like 20 minutes of suffering at the end because of a little error. Um, But yeah, the results are what matters. Uh, is what matters, sorry, at the uh, this point in the season. So yeah, perfect.
1: Yeah, Villa just need to keep doing their own job, don't they? That's that's the key thing. It doesn't really matter what Man United and, and Spurs do to a to a lesser extent. If they keep winning, they will finish in the top five. But obviously it's always nice to extend any points gap where you can. Even a draw for Spurs would have been a good weekend for Villa. So the fact that they go on to lose mm-hmm. it is yeah excellent to to oh, see. Nice. Uh, yeah, bonus indeed. Just um, before we get into the questions, what's your kind of summary of that that Fulham game? Because it, it wasn't one that we were looking at as like, oh, it's easy, like Villa, uh, you know, they should be yeah. winning this. And whilst they, they should be winning it on paper, um, Fulham away is not a great place for us as a club. Uh, they're a solid mid-table side, not really threatening the relegation, not going to push forward and get into Europe, certainly not this season. Um, but certainly a game you look at and go, oh, that's, that's tough, like a draw is probably... You might think that's okay. Mm-hmm. So to go there and win and win with relative ease is is very encouraging, isn't it?
0: Yeah, five words: the return of Paul Torres. That was yeah. my, you know, that's the main point for me. The way that we uh, were so composed, we controlled the game. As, as I say, up until. Um, that defensive lapse between Martinez and Longley. Longley was excellent up until that point, and to be honest, it's hard to blame him because I do think Martinez must have given him a call. Mm. He was going to claim the ball, and um, I think if we were only one to up, Longley just puts that in Rosehead, and there's no issue. So, yeah, it, fantastic performance from Villa. I thought, again, up until that mistake, I thought that was actually our best away performance of the season um, in terms of how we controlled the game. I know we beat Sheffield United five 0 but that was, you know. We, we have, you know, you can only beat only beat what's in front of you. But that, you know, most felt teams bad. are going to batter
1: Sheffield United. Yeah,
0: and it, <laughs> they, they they really aren't a Premier League team. Um, whereas Fulham absolutely are. They had the eighth best home record in the division. Only three teams scored more goals than them since the 27th of November. Like this was a um, a game which Villa. Yeah. I think you know if we drew drew it. You know, depending on the context of the game, we would have probably taken it as long as we then beat Forest and probably beat Luton. Because I said before, you want, you know, at least seven points out of these three games uh, going into the game against Tottenham. And it's every chance we could get nine now. We have to do our job against Forest. It's crucially you know, mm. important. You know, every game right now just feels like a final. And it's a lot of pressure because there's 13 of them left, you know, in the league. Um, hopefully, we have an actual final in May. But yeah, it was an excellent performance from Villa, the way that they played, the way that they um, was set up. Obviously, wasn't, you know, that back four hadn't played with each other at all before. Um, McGinn dropping back into the holding position, I thought to be honest in the first half, he was kind of just adapting to that again. He hadn't mm. played it at all for a bit of time um, and he lost the ball, I think, twice, which could have cost Villa. Uh, But then in the second half, like after the match, the first thing I said to one of the reporters that I was with was, There's no player that I'd rather have than John McGinn on that pitch in the last 10 minutes of the game because he was everywhere. He was like, um, you know, a man possessed, trying to win the ball back, just getting, putting his body on the line. Like we've had three ACLs this season, lots of different other injuries, niggly injuries, long term injuries. And John McGinn's still, you know, willing to break a leg for the cause. Um, Mm. Hopefully not literally. <laughs> no, and he'd probably play next week. Even if he did, like, <laughs> he, yeah, he was um, he was an example of what we have to do for the rest of the season. Basically, play some good football, but then in periods of games, we are going to have to put bodies on the line, um, mm. defend manfully. And that's you know what we did. We, you know, still had to call on Emmy Martinez to make the top save at the end of the game. But you know, I don't really care because we got the points you know what i mean there's little things that we can nitpick and you know here and there but ultimately we deserve to win that game three nil probably because we should yeah. have had a the goal that we conceded yeah. was poor um but yeah it almost makes it sweeter at the end of those matches when we have suffered as a slave for a for a large proportion of it um but yeah up until that mistake i thought we were excellent to be honest possibly the best away performance of the season for me
1: hmm. i just want to pick up on something you said there during that last answer are you aware of the, the football cliches podcast
0: uh, I've heard of it, I haven't listened to it though.
1: So. Okay. I've been I've only discovered it recently and I've been binge listening to obviously there's loads of episodes of it formerly on the athletic. It's obviously about like the discussion of the cliches in football and the language used around. Many I,
0: how many did I use there? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Can you have thirteen cup finals? Is that something you just said? You know, yeah, well, every game feels is... like a cup final. Thirteen cup finals feels like a lot. Surely you sell like five cup trophies.
0: Sure. <laughs> no, but you, but it's in every game now. We're going into. I know what you mean,
1: but it just sounds silly, doesn't it? Thirteen no, cup no, no, I understand.
0: And, like I, I hate the phrase of "this is a must-win." So it, it's rich coming from me, especially. <laughs> but uh, we are in that zone now. Of this is, you know, this isn't literally the running, but it feels like it is because we drop points against Forest, and it feels like the world. You know, everything's mm. gone. I know what so you, mean. Again, Like last week after the United game, it was all right, well, you know, sixth wouldn't be so bad. That, you know, it was that kind of mentality. Whereas now it's like, oh, no, we could definitely still get top four. We could definitely still get top five. It? But that's never changed and it won't change up until the last six games of the season, possibly. But to kind of avoid those feelings of pressure and um, kind of overreaction, we need to beat Forest because. It, now this is the part of the season where you have to put wins together in a row. You can't just win one, lose one, win one, lose one. We need to beat Forest, and we probably need to, you know, at least get a draw against Luton. We need to probably beat them to be honest. You know, they are, you know, for as well as they have done this season for Luton, they're still what fourth bottom. So we need to be going there and winning, right? Um, and then it's you're going well, to go huh? into that, yeah, then you're going to go you're going to go, going to go into that Tottenham game with. Um, you know We should be above them by then, I'd have thought, because of the games that we have. We have to respect Forrest and Luton, but those are games that would be favourites to win. Um, but we know that we still have to play City away, mm-hmm. uh, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home. That I don't know what the situation will be there, whether Liverpool could win the league on that day, whether they... Mm -hmm. Um, Need to win to stay uh, in the fight until the last day. Whether we need to win it to secure something or to be in the hunt for something, you know, that could be a huge game. So that isn't, you know, in any way, shape or form, it wouldn't have been a banker anyway. But that's another, like, those just three games, Brighton away before, that's going to be incredibly difficult because they'll be going for Europe, I presume. Um, West Ham away, for me, anyway, it looks difficult because you don't know what's going to happen with Moyes. That could be a game that is, you know, to save his job or maybe they have a new manager. I don't know. So in almost in every game, there's a bit of context which hmm. makes it look difficult. And that's why I'm saying they're all finals because I think our fixed list is very difficult. You look at Forest and Br- uh, Brentford, Sorry, is probably our two um, most of winnable games, I suppose, at home. But Forrester are fighting, stay in the division. Brentford need points and are better because they've got Ivan Tony back. So every game is going to be tough and we have to just narrow it down to, right, we have to beat uh, Forrest Saturday. And then we don't think about looting yet. We think about it as soon as the full-time whistle goes. That's the that's just the way we're going to have to do it now. Mm.
1: Just be careful of you banging your desk or whatever you've got in front of you, making a couple of rattly noises. Too much passion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think the the last week of podcasts from us from United and Kamara last week to uh obviously Fulham and then today's show, obviously a lot more positive of where we are is is um kind of the demonstration of Taking one game at a time because so much can yeah. change so quickly. Even if we'd have won on the weekend, and so did Spurs, we'd still not have been gone up into the top four. But the case that they also lost has as yeah. catapulted, catapulted us from thinking last week, or oh, maybe Europa League is is what we need to to kind of go for here because yeah. the injuries are mounting up, and this is going to be difficult. To seven days later, going, well, Spurs have lost. We've won. We're in fourth. Yeah, yeah. Come on, let's go for Forest, go Luton, go Spurs. Like you know, kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But you're absolutely right. If you don't beat Forest next weekend, it is going to be. You're gonna talk about missed opportunities and all these kind of things. So to look ahead of like that fixture might be difficult, and that one could be a new manager and all that kind of stuff is way too far to be to be looking forward. But I know what you mean, and I will ask you later on like a points turtle for the next few games. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. for now, it is just like beat Forest. That is our only target for the season, beat that and then move on to the next one.
0: Yeah. And the fixtures we have I said they are they are tough. We have Chelsea at home, and Chelsea perform better against better teams, it seems, and obviously they beat us, you know, pretty convincing convincingly in the FA Cup. Wolves at home will be horrible. Um, mm. you say Brighton be. away. Well, they're a good team, Wolves, with the pace of Neto, with the organisation. They've got the two midfielders, Gomez and Lamina, completely bullied Tottenham. Um, as I say, the two away games that we have, West Ham away, Tottenham at home. I, I just think the next, I don't know, maybe four or five games, so your Forest, Luton, Tottenham, West Ham Wolves, those are key matches. We need to be taking points there because then you have City away, Arsenal away. Um, like Bournemouth at home even that's difficult for me anyway maybe I'm underplaying us and you know I what I would say that, what I would say is that every game is difficult if you're playing Aston Villa but then I just think on the flip side there's no easy game for us really isn't mm. everyone has got something to play for um and there's lots of context on each of those games. But yeah, we'll get onto it later. I just think, you know, we've won against Fulham fantastic, but now we have to keep going. With the 13 games left, a lot can change, and quickly, as we've just seen in the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, we spoke on the post-match show about how, like, how many wins Villa may need. and I've got the Premier League table open here. We've talked a lot earlier in the season about our away form not being very good. Up until Monday night, we played yesterday. We were fourth in the away league table. We're now down to fifth, 21 points away from home and 28 points at home. Villa are, on, Villa are on 49 points at the moment and m- mid to late 60s is generally good enough as an average for fifth and 70-ish is generally good enough for fourth as an average. Yeah. So Villa need 21 points to get to 70. That's seven wins from 13. That doesn't sound impossible to me. No, it's what, a- you, could, you could win one and lose one for the remainder of the season and probably just about win enough to get 70 points.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely doable. And I, I've said before, I think Aston Villa will get Champions League football this season. Even after Kamara's injury, like on that depressing podcast we did, I said a few times, like, I still think Villa are going to get top five, top four. It just makes it a lot harder. And I stand by that because mm. we've got, don't forget, you know, how, however many more conference league games and the pressure that brings and the energy we're going to have to exert in those matches. we played the, the round 16, either side of Tottenham. You know, Tottenham game's huge. So um, I just think it's such a long way yet. Until the end of the season, even though it's all going to happen very quickly, which I don't think helps in terms of we playing all those games in the next like what three months. Um, but yeah, absolutely, we're looking win seven out of thirteen, possibly more. I don't know, but all of those games will be difficult. I don't, you know, I have no doubt about it whatsoever. To say you go through the fixture lists, and I would prefer Tottenham's fixture list or uh, Man United's fixture list, put it that way. But I would prefer assemble's team Do you know what I mean So mm-hmm. we are At the moment The fourth hardest team To play against In the Premier League uh, We can't forget that But as I say Playing Wolves at home Fills me with a bit of uh, Trepidation Going to Brighton Towards the end of the season Playing Liverpool Man City Arsenal away All those games are difficult um, We can certainly do it But we just have to now focus Forest Three points on Saturday Then the next one Then the next one I'm Alex Rodriguez And I'm Jason Kelly
1: Right then, on to viewer questions then, John. We've got loads sent in this week. Uh, I'm going to try and do them in a random order, but as we've just been talking about Fulham, let's get one of those out of the way first. This is from David, who says, this question comes from my 10-year-old son, James. He asks, should Ollie Watkins have been awarded a penalty, and how are we still having these issues with VAR and officiating when something like that was a stonewall penalty? Which I really like is, like again, a, well, a well-written question for, for a 10-year-old and a well-thought-out uh, question. Absolutely, uh, we should have had a penalty on Ollie Watkins. And yes, I also don't understand why these conversations are still happening. Uh, obviously, it was the referee. I haven't got his name to hand, but it was his first game refereeing at Premier League level. Mm-hmm. On a couple of occasions, VAR could have helped him out, 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 out it seems, and, and didn't. That one on Ollie Watkins is a Stonewall penalty, as you'll see, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's why... Um... The last 20 minutes were so difficult because you, um, you, know, you just knew that something was going to happen after we should have had a penalty to make it 3-1, I think. That wasn't to make it 3-0, I think it was 3-1. Um, so we responded well to them scoring that goal. But yeah, clear penalty. I don't know why it wasn't given. And the kind of second part of James's question about, you know, why are we getting so many decisions or whatever it may be? It's, it's, it's across the league, like the West Ham. I don't know if you've mm. seen it, Dan, the West Ham penalty or the penalty that West Ham should have given away. I think it was Nico Williams who was in the box. And then yeah. I don't know who the defender was, but he's stamped on his foot. And <laughs> oh, that can't be a penalty. I, it's it's mental. Um, kind of different to Ollie Watkins, but the same premise of the player. is in on goal. He has the ball under his control and he's taken out. Don't, like That's as simple as it gets for a penalty. Um, so I don't know. Should have been a penalty. Should have kind of extended our goal difference I suppose and maybe Mm -hmm. this part of the season we are we do need to think about that at the moment we have a good buffer well a buffer that is almost insurmountable I think for Man United I think the Tottenham buffer is only four goals maybe four Four. or five yeah um again that can change in a couple weeks so um yeah goal difference will be important I think as well especially if it's like a three horse race for four for fifth as we think it is at the moment so yeah should have had a penalty should have won by more goals but yeah, three points is the most important thing, I suppose.
1: Next question is from Janislav, who says, Is Torres the best centre-half in the division? And also comments that Tielemans to Watkins was a beautiful assist and one that he's done a number of times already. Is Tielemans a bit underrated with fans? Uh, we'll take the Tielemans part first. I think we'll talk about Torres for longer. Now, what have you made of, of um impact, I suppose?
0: Yeah, he's a player, I think I've mentioned it before, who straight away from his first match in pre-season, which I think was against Fulham out in Orlando. I remember just watching him like very closely for the period of time he was on the pitch because I hadn't seen a player like that play for Villa for a, for a long time. And Louise is very good with the ball. He's very composed and uses it well. But Tielemans, it's like he has some kind of supernatural skill of weaving between players, finding pockets of space and executing a pass to perfection. Um, some things will work, some things won't. But when it does come off, which is most... You know, almost every game something will happen for Tielemans where we have a clear chance or um, he has, some, you know, space to to make something happen. Uh, that's something that, you know, only the top players can do. They find pocket of space. Tielemans isn't the most, you know, uh, physically capable player, I suppose, in the Premier League, you know, by a long way. But it says a lot about his quality and his, um, as I say, He's very um, skillful with the ball. He, he can move it well, manipulate it, and uh, that is something that as I say to get on a free transfer. Of course, he's going to be on a big wage. But I'm I mean, again, I'm shocked that other clubs didn't look at him because I don't know what club he wouldn't make a positive effect on. I think maybe teams were just put off by what happened with Leicester last season. I don't know, but he is key um, at the moment. How Villa are playing? He plays in that kind of half space behind Watkins, which was you know, Bailey or Wendy would be playing in that type of role uh, up with Watkins almost as a second striker. Telemans will either play off the left when Ramsey isn't playing, but now Ramsey seems to be back in you know, top form. Telemans is kind of playing more centrally. And yeah. again, that suits because he can link up with the midfielder, then it's, it's easier for him to get in the games and kind of make that devastating impact where it matters on the pitch. Like for the second goal, he can um, be picked out in that half space and then it's a free ball to Watkins and he scores whereas that wouldn't have happened if he was on the left it would be a different angle which changes his approach to the attack so um, yeah it's good that he's versatile as well kind of mentioning all those different things but ultimately yeah, a player who can see things before they happen it's that kind of classic top midfielder you know we were doing that scanning thing weren't we um, with the uh, was it Be Your Best Be Your Best yeah yeah. his scam might have been as good as mine I'm not sure only so, um, <laughs> yeah, better than mine. Top player, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely better Scammer than me. So yeah, really pleased to have him again. A player we missed, I think, due to his mm. injury. Another player that we've missed from injury.
1: We recorded a video in the office two weeks ago, I think, maybe about Yuri Tiedemans and it was like how he's so important to an Emery playing off the left or coming inside. And we filmed that before the Bubakar kamara injury, and that made the whole dynamic of that conversation different. Uh, We also thought that maybe Telemans would come in and fill in for Kamara. Obviously, we saw at the weekend that John McGinn is likely going to play that role for the rest of the season, playing centrally, and Telemans will still play off the left or just support Watkins. So I thought uh, when the Kamara injury news came out that that video we filmed was like dead in the water and redundant, and I have kind of consigned it to that. However, if people listening to this or watching this think they still want to hear us chat about Yuri Tiedemans for 15, 20 minutes or so, (laughs) let me know in the comments and I'll still put that video out and have in mind that it was filmed before Kamara was missing, but it still mostly should be relevant. But if you want it, let me know. If you think, leave it in the can. Holly uh just on torres this is the second part of that question if we can find the right tab uh is torres the best center half in the division there's also a question from holly as well who says is Paul Torres one of the most underrated is is one of the most underrated signings in the premier league yeah. um uh, his win percentage with our win percentage with him is huge. His ball carrying jewels, pass completion, etc. Something like Villa's win percentage is like seventy-five percent with him and twenty-five percent without him. I don't know whether that is correct, but I saw it on on Twitter before we started filming. We all know how important he is to us, but seeing him back and playing in full flow and, and being involved is yeah, it's a joy to watch, isn't it?
0: Wrote a piece similar to. Um, sorry, I forgot who asked the question about the most underrated signing, but I wrote that he is he has to be up there as one of the best Premier League signings from the summer window he he has to be he's Brilliant. again he's he is absolutely transformational like you know as we always say Alex Moreno was last season Paul Torres is that and I think a bit more now because the effect Like within the first two minutes of us playing against Fulham my um my perception of how we were going to play in that match was already, yeah, I was, you know, I was much more confident already because he had his arms up like that, you know, kind of whenever Bailey would run down the wing and there was kind of like clearly a blind alley, but you know, his arms up, like turn back, recycle. um But it's not just keeping possession for the sake of it, as as we know, because he steps out, draws Paulina in, uh, in the Fulham game, especially, creates space. It, it's so intelligent and mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's something that, um, you know, just happened on the day. I doubt it. I presume Emery has kind of told him to do certain things. But yeah, bringing the ball out from defence. I think he's still got the second highest uh, ball carrying distance in the Premier League, despite missing the last however many games. I mean, this was his first start since mid December. So I think it was two months to the day that he got the injury against Brentford on Saturday. So yeah absolutely one of the best signings anyone's made in the premier league i don't know if he's the best defender in the premier league because that you know you can can kind of um categorize that in different things you know etc but in terms of ball playing center backs he's one of the best in europe if not the best that isn't an exaggeration at all um i don't know what team wouldn't want pal torres again not to kind of be that guy but what I'm trying to say is that anyone would want Pau Torres and it's it's well, it's a positive that Aston Villa basically have assets across the whole team that you know, you look at concert for example, well that's surely a sixty million pound plus player. Torres is absolutely that as well because as I say, he's got the skills to be the best centre back in the world, at bringing the ball out, playing with it and dominating uh, an opposition from how he plays. In midfield, it's the same story with Louise Kamara, you know Watkins, Bailey, all these guys. So the, the squad is littered with talent. It's mm. Huge assets there. So whichever way you look at it, in terms of well, will there be interest for our players, or will we keep them? There's positives in each sense of that. Kind of makes sense. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic recruitment from from Villa to be getting these players and. Uh, Obviously, adjusting well. someone like a Diaby, I think, will take a bit more time or is taking a bit more time to adapt because, you know, Torres is adapted very quickly. But I think it's easier in a way because he plays as a, as a centre-back in Villa are uh, already good enough to dominate teams. Mm. But it just allows him to kind of express his skills more, if that makes sense. Whereas Diaby's a bit different because he wants the space and now he doesn't have it. Whereas Torres wants the space and he's been given it, you know, that kind of dynamic so um, yeah for sure one of the best signings anyone made in the summer and that won't be said by the media by the way um, out, outside because it's it would just be a case of whoever who did Chelsea sign Cole Palmer who's one of you know or the only good signing they've made out of like 50 or something and that you know he'll be in like the pulse of player of the season and stuff but probably not a Villa player
1: mm, yeah absolutely spot on with that uh, I made a very 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 basic animation animation oh, no, that i post on Twitter yesterday like the dots moving around the screen for like, how the goal played out. Uh, and you, you mentioned very intelligent is the right word, but if you watch that goal and I oh, will put this animation on screen and you'll see it's very basic, there's like three Fulham players on it, but just to like, move like, where the spaces are. If you go back and watch that goal a few times over and over, Pau Tais runs with the ball for what, I don't know, 10 yards or whatever, yeah. to in- put enough to bait one of the, the Fulham players in kind of checks back and plays back to Louise, who is there's now a gaping space in midfield because one of the Fulham runners didn't track Pau Torres' movement as left gap or what, however it is, if you watch it a few times you'll see that motion play out um, and that's such a basic thing to highlight you know, man moves with ball and creates space but it's something that we weren't <laughs> doing before yeah. having him back, just that goal happens because of him, effectively even though he's not the guy that plays the assist he's involved in starting that move off
0: Yeah, yeah we, we completely uh, took Palinja out the game and that is, Mm -hmm. you know, half of it well done to John McGinn or maybe more than half to be fair. Um, But yeah, the way that we moved the ball, you know, Palinja is arguably one of the best holding midfielders in the division in terms of how he breaks up plays, always has the most tackles, interceptions, that stuff. But that was one of his worst games in the Fulham shirt, probably. Um, he got baited yeah. into
1: closing yes. down Louise as well didn't he? Tried to go for Torres, yeah. missed him, then went over, yeah. exerted himself and got to Louise and left the space. And one of the other Fulham players is like pointing at the space towards Tielemans and the ball goes into him. Again, very calm as well on, on that pass just to kind of take yeah. a second and and have a look what's going on. Uh, it's a really nice goal, that. If you, obviously, you, just yeah, like, was, yeah. you look I at had... the, the final five seconds, the finish is great on its own, but everything yeah. that came before it, Tielemans also very calm and composed just to Take his time and play the uh, picky spot for Watkins, who Watkins makes a brilliant run as well, which is something that I don't think has been yeah, told. We made, right it, enough.
0: made it look simple. I really yeah. remember picking up my head. I missed the, pot, the Torres stuff because obviously I'm doing my work and stuff. But um, as soon as the ball was played to Louise, he was like, Okay, you can clearly see the passing sequences mm-hmm. here to get to goal. Uh, and I was looking at the linesman thinking, Well, is something if I miss Because that would look really easy? So um, yeah, credit to us. And just on Palin, you, you walloped McGinn at the end of the game, not as you didn't as in a tackle Um, (laughs) and he got a yellow card uh, which kind of compounded his game but now he misses the Man United game. I think he misses two games in a row now which includes Mm. Man United away so wish he didn't do that in the end but uh, (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter
1: just on that Watkins goal, again, two things that I like from watching it back on loop a million times to do that stupid animation thing. I like how he doesn't even take a touch of the ball. Like, his, his first touch is the shot. That's always nice that he's run onto it. Uh, the way of the pass is perfect, but he's run onto it so well that his first touch is the strike. And also, the sound of the ball hitting the back of the net. This is, again, a stupid thing yeah. to, to think about. But the way the ball hits the back of the net and hits it so hard that it flies back out onto the pitch and that little, like... Yeah noise it makes yeah I love stuff like that there is
0: a there is a Twitter account I haven't seen it for a while that has like goal sounds when it hits the net the best one oh, was nice. do you remember Erling Haaland's goal against PSG you'd remember it. if you know the noise he, he hits it from distance and it, I think it smacked the bar and then it hit like the stanchion at the back or something oh, and it yeah, always, brilliant um yeah. yeah on that Watkins guy he didn't have much time to like think about it which I think helped because he was yeah. straight from the pass he knew that as long as he hits so it, it speak, clean Lennard, yeah it, it hits it clean it's a goal because Leno's kind of caught out because he would not know whether to come or go mm. um
1: yeah Nice, all right let's move on Great um,
0: Wayne asks
1: is Clement Longley the best loan signing in Villa's history <laughs> wow. Now I'll uh, put you on the spot with these. I've not sent any of these questions in advance. So I've looked at a couple of loan players I think would be on a list of good ones. So if you need me to fire some names, I can do.
0: I think that depends on, are we talking quality of player or impact? It depends how you want to talk about quality of player, because I can't really look past Tammy Abraham in terms of impact as a mm-hmm. lone player. You yeah. um, know, yeah. Getting promoted to the Premier League because of that is sort of... Quite, yeah. quite important, isn't it? it? Doesn't get much bigger, really. Um, but in terms of quality of player, have you got any names down? Because I can't think of many.
1: So the the list I've got is Tammy Abraham was at the top as a as an, a very obvious one. Scored lots of goals. We get promoted. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to go down as one of the best. On a weird kind of technicality, I've got Toro Mings, who was obviously initially a loan signing and then went on to be a permanent. Yeah. So, again, what's was important in, in his loan spell as well, but like the, the goodness of Tyra Mings is everything that's followed with it rather than specifically that uh, five months or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, again, I'm, I'm going down here on a list of uh, quality. Uh, Sam Johnson and Russ were the same season.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you can, should we just say, yeah? I mean, the, the, the thing is, right, Taylorman, sorry, Telemann, long I think the question means is he the best Players and the best quality, yeah,
1: best quality yeah,
0: probably. There must be a good, I can't again, I can't remember exactly, you know, pre 2015. Um, but it, there must probably be an argument for it in terms of best quality loan signing because I mean, you
1: would have Clement Longlow as a starting centre back for a lot of other teams, and he's technically yeah, our fourth choice.
0: Which is Barcelona, and this is a player again who was kind of maligned at Tottenham because. Mm. <laughs> but it was hard to criticise him, really, when you when you think about it, because Tottenham were a, a bit of a basket case under uh, Conte. Lloris isn't a very good goalkeeper anymore, so they shipped a lot of goals. Uh, the back four in general wasn't very organised. Midfield, you know, where was the anchor to support players like Longblade? So him coming into a team like Villa with one of the best managers in the world, it was always going to help him. And I think he showed that, yeah, he is still a good player, like a very good player and playing on the right side of defence. Um, Again, you know, full credit to him for performing so well against Fulham, and it goes some way to kind of relieving my anxiety about how we build up, etc. And I think we will have harder tests than Fulham. You know, that Fulham wasn't a hard test, of course it was. But again, you know, City away, Liverpool away, uh, Liverpool at mm-hmm. home, Arsenal away. We've got some difficult games to come up. Um, so maybe we'll have. I mean, fair, by those late games, Concer will hopefully be back and mm-hmm. um, playing with Torres, maybe. Uh, or at right-back, which means maybe Longley would continue. I don't know. So it's just, again, positive to see that even with injuries we can have, um, we can still play. The way that we want to, at least to a certain extent, which is obviously great, and Yelongle yeah, probably is win with a shout in terms of best quality in terms of the player loan signings that we've ever made. I can't think of many more. It must be in the top five at least.
1: Mm. The the other two that I've got, and these are also technicality ones, is James Milner signed on loan for us in two thousand and five, two thousand and six. But then obviously his best times again come on mm. a permanent move. And a different way to answer the question, who maybe goes on to be. Uh, a great footballer but not drawing his loan spell at Villa though he wasn't bad obviously not Kyle Walker yeah Kyle like, was, yeah. was a lone player for us and did okay but has yeah. gone on to be one of the best right backs in the Premier League ever like a, yeah. as a lone player come good kind of thing yeah uh, is the why I interpreted some of that question just on Longley still stills another comment here from Sam another question he says do you think we should sign Clement Longley on a permanent his performances have been fantastic he seems to be a great defender and ball player it's interesting, isn't it? We talk about the two left-footed thing in the Fulham preview, and that turns out not to be an issue for Fulham specifically. Uh, yeah. It could still be an issue in other games, of course, but against Fulham, it was not a problem at all. When we mentioned Torres coming back as well, and I've, I've got no, I've got no numbers here to go off or anything, but it felt like every goal kick or most goal kicks went to Torres. I don't think that's just because Torres is important and he starts the move off. I think it also avoids giving it to Longo on his wrong side.
0: Yeah, and that's just, you know, we mentioned before about if you're a striker pressing long lay, it's pretty obvious you're going to shift him over to his right. So that that was, that's, under
1: pressure from a goal kick. That that.
0: that still is my worry because I don't doubt in one of these games we'll come up against a striker who just pins himself to long lay and completely shuffles him up, always shuffles him uh, onto his right side, which will cause a problem. But, you know, if that happens, then maybe there's more space for Torres. So there, there is obviously ways to play around it. Um, In terms of signing Longley permanently, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like to. But Villa obviously have to be careful with what they spend and how they spend it. And, of course, we have Tara Mings, who should be returning to full training sometime in May. Whether he'll play or not is obviously unlikely, um, very unlikely. But, you know, we can't forget that Longley came into the club only because Mings picked up that injury. So I, I don't think that's something that we need to do. I think it could be the case of, you know, Longley, especially if we get Champions League and Longley continues to play well, then it's a win-win for both. Longley either gets to move somewhere else, Barcelona get a bit of money for him because he's played well at Villa and he's helped Villa. It would be like a perfect situation for everybody. And then Tyrone Mingus comes back in and Villa don't have to spend money on Longley and his big wages because they are big wages. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, you've done your job and now we have someone else coming back who we know that we can trust again hopefully his injury Mings' injury hasn't kind of set his set him back in terms of what he can do on the pitch. Um but if the docs is kinda of giving the all clear on that and um we see you no know, sort of drop off because, of course the window doesn't shut until I don't know when it will be in the summer, maybe late August, early September. There's a period of time to kind of assess where Mings is at. But I don't think that's something that we have to, you know, forcibly do when we have Mings as a centre back who was alongside obviously concert uh, you know, immense last season. So Between him and Torres, that's your kind of left side sorted then, and two excellent players uh, to do a job, and then your right side, Concer and whoever else is going to compete with him next season.
1: There's three questions here that are all kind of along the same uh, theme about injuries, so just Rather than picking one and then talking about it for ten minutes and discounting the others, let's I'll just read them all out at once and kind of go wherever we need to. So first of all, Danny says, Does a depleted squad make the available players even better? Because they have to step up to their game. Maybe we'll look back at these injury setbacks this season as some kind of blessing in disguise. Um Mike says, Could Kamara being out actually end up helping us in easier games? Cause he's not really needed anyway. And Phil said, if we had no injuries this season, could
0: we have won the league? <laughs> If we had no injuries this season, we'd be in the tartar race still. That's my, I think, my opinion.
1: I'm going to say something weirdly stupid or controversial here. We not the trouble. <laughs> no, no, I'm going on the other way. No. I think if, if Mings and Buendia hadn't got their ACLs at the start of the season, I'm not actually sure we'd have gone on to be as good as we were in a weird way because I don't think Torres would have come in as soon as he did and I don't think we'd have done what we did with those in and that's just a weird way of saying it we'll, mm-hmm. we'll obviously never know and having more options tends to think well oh, you'll be better for it but yeah. I mean Bailey was better because Brendier wasn't there and he had to step up like, things like that that kind of weird butterfly effect I think to follow on from that if we hadn't have had injuries to concert Kamara and Pau Torres in December I think we'd have more points than 49 now whether that's enough to go on and win the title I still don't think it would but I think we'd be on 55 maybe, six more points than we'd be looking at being second now, still, at the end of February. Maybe that's the case.
0: I'm convinced that we would have beaten Man United twice with Paul Torres. I, I just, yeah, certainly I, once w- at least. Yeah, I, I just think we would have held on at Old traffic because we would have been calm, composed when we, when we had yeah. to be. And at Villa Park, we would have beaten them as well. I, just, I know that's easy to say, but that's just my opinion. I think we would have beaten them twice. So that's six points for us and minus six for them, which puts mm-hmm. us in a... Very good position to at least get Champions League. <laughs> and they would put us up amongst City and Arsenal and whatnot. And that, those are just two games, let alone Sheffield United, let alone uh, the, the games that we drop points in. So uh, the only thing I would say is that this happens during a season. So I don't think we can look at it and think, you know, um, we should be there, we should be there. But this is kind of like an exceptional season of we've had three ACLs. Like it's almost kind of this happens. Do you, do, do, always in? In?
1: do you think there's anything in that? Like, there's a lot of ACLs across football. True.
0: <laughs> Go on.
1: Yeah. But, like, is there something going on that's making the ACL injury more, uh, more commonplace? We saw,
0: we saw uh, Aaron Ramsey as well from, oh, from yeah, Burnley. I mean, yeah. You know, again, like, what looks a horrific injury and we wish him well because that, that won't be, I can't imagine what that must feel like, you know, just move to Burnley. Um you know, you're probably looking at next season where you can really make an impact probably in the championship. And now it's been set back with what looks a uh, serious knee injury. We don't know exactly what it is yet. Um, but there's a lot of ACLs throughout world football. And I don't know why that is, um, is done. Well, I'm, I'm, again, Thanks, I'm girl. a strong,
1: stupid fan here more so than any kind of expert. But yeah. is it something like the boots? Is it something in the turf? I don't, because
0: like, you know, it seems like this season in particular, or maybe last season as well, but I don't think, you know, anything dramatically changed between, you know, playing surface, boots that players wear. No. Nah. You know, <laughs> all these things haven't dramatically changed in the last three or four years. And even if they did with one boot manufacturer, they wouldn't change with all of them. You know what I mean? It's just it it doesn't make sense to me that everything would change, you know, and not every club is ripped up their uh turf and things like that. Or, you yeah. know, even on training pitches, do you know what I mean? So it's um I think it's just a coincidence, but it is crazy. Uh but yeah, to go back to the question, Villa would have more points without their injuries, absolutely, like 100%. And again, though, I just think, well, next season we'll have injuries as well. This could happen again, but it just, this has been an exceptional season because it's, there's so many and they're all so long. Like Kamara's out for the season. Mings Buendia, uh Torres has missed two months. Dean missed nearly two months or so. Uh, Telemann's yeah. missed about a month, you know. Ramsey, right now, the of season as well. Ponser, Carlos, like it's... Yeah, Ramsey right. Moreno is basically an 11 almost that's missing. Yeah, so.
1: how, how How funny is it, after like the whole time we've been doing the podcast, Leon Bailey, somebody we've always kind of gone, oh, he's never fit. He's one yeah, of the right. only few, touch wood, with John McGinn, to not pick an injury off of some kind. Stop You've talking. i have read, read out the entire 11 that has picked up an injury off of some kind.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bailey, um, was there a question about Leon Bailey then? Oh no, you mentioned about Bailey and Buendia. I think, the Bailey one is That's a just bit, me being stupid. Yeah, I think it's a bit different in terms of. I think Emery added like a chat with him. There's a there's a piece that was on the uh, that I did for obviously on Birmingham Live uh, yesterday. If you want to go and read that about Bailey, kind of a, you had to sit down with Emery and Emery was basically saying like you play well at you know at home usually, but away from home you need to play better. And he's whatever he said and whatever he's done, it's brought his game on tenfold. Like he's just he's outrageous now. Yeah. Leon Bailey, like the skill he did pass the Robinson and then crashed the bar. That's, that's something yeah. that mess does. Like, genuinely, he's it's, it's showing flash, flashes of, you know, being a top, top winger that could play in any team. So, hopefully that continues.
1: Yeah, just as a I don't want to appear to be shoe in this in, but as we're talking about injuries and sending our best wishes to Aaron Ramsey, as you mentioned there, I'd a lot to pass on, not that it's relevant, obviously, the other side of the city, there's not going to be any Birmingham City fans watching this, but Tony yeah. Mowbray is missing from touchline duties and, and active duty as Birmingham City manager for six to eight weeks after a medical diagnosis and will hopefully be Recovering from that as soon as possible. I've seen a lot of well wishes from other football clubs towards him, which is again quite common. Um, but says the kind of what kind of guy he is, what character he is to be so well renowned across football. So yes, whilst it's uh, our bitter rivals, we extend our best wishes to to uh, to Mowbray and his family. at What will be a pretty grim time. We don't know what that is, but hopefully you know, that six to eight week um, return is 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 met and he's back kind of fighting for
0: it. yeah football rivalry goes like completely out the window here it's clearly uh, um whatever it is it's clearly serious if it's you know that kind of prolonged period and yeah full full recovery hopefully for Mowbray and he can back it, he can be back as soon as possible for Birmingham mean, it's to say whatever club whatever whoever it is it really doesn't matter it's um this is uh about a human being at the end of the day so yeah, yeah a full recovery for Mowbray um and we I'm sure Villa all the fans as well would send him the best
1: I'm going to do another three-question whammy here because they're all very similar. Uh, firstly, Jordan says, do you think we'll see Big Tim play more in Kamara's absence and any other youth players come through the rest of the year? I know one critique of Emery at Arsenal was not bringing through youth. As we are as long as we are winning, that's the main thing, but always nice to see the academy. Now, the kind of, again, like the tribalism nature of football, that everyone's got their own opinion and it's all very different. Uh, two contrasting questions here. They're on the same theme, but with a different message. Dr. AVFC says, do you think Iribuna will be given a chance to fill in for Kamara? Again, same point. Emory had a good reputation for bringing in the youth at Arsenal. For example, Saka and Martinelli, but haven't seen much of that at Villa yet. Yeah, that was my understanding as well, that he's actually good with with youth players. Again, we've not seen it massively at Villa yet, but again, Arsenal Gabriel's debut to Smithrow, Saka, Martinelli, the guys mentioned there. So it's interesting that the previous question was like, oh, he doesn't, he has he a critique of Emory, is that his youth in integration. Uh, And Rob says, finally, can you see any of our young fringe players getting to start a match in the league or the Conference League before the end of the season? And if so, who?
0: I think probably um, not, to be honest, in terms of Kessler and Iribunin. Maybe they start here and there if there's an injury to McGinn or Louise Mm. again, touch with that doesn't happen. But I think these are players who will come on kind of, you know, to rest players. If I'm being totally honest, I don't... I don't think Emery thinks that they're ready yet. And I know he had a, you know, a big passionate speech about Tim, which kind of crossed over to Kane as well in terms of, you know, these are your moments to impress and to continue to work hard. I think what he's saying there is in the next, you know, two years or something, you are going to be playing matches. So right now you have to be learning and you have to be, um, you're going to have to be ready, basically, when you're called on. And And if you're not ready, then there's your chance gone sort of thing. So I think it's more of a warning of, we are going to have to rely on you at some point. Uh, probably won't be this season, but then next season it might be because, as we said before, you know, Villa's transfer strategy, especially in January, they've signed Costa, Novakovic, uh, Lionel uh, Gauchi, Rogers. All these players they will be first team players at some point, and that is I say, I suspect will be in two years, one year. You know that. You know whether they start games next season, probably not. But then the season after that, they'll be pushing to play games and Emery knows how um, how long the process can be for a youth player to be fully ready to make an impact in Premier League games and sustain Aston Villa being as a Champions League-pushing club, if that makes sense. Mm. So, uh, yeah, in terms of the youth at Arsenal, I, from what I know, as, as you said there, Dan Martinelli, Smith-Rowe and Sackrell came through under Emery and Sackrell always speaks really highly um, of Emery as well. So um, I'm not too sure about, or I, I don't know about... You know, whether he didn't play Balogun or Inketi or whatever, maybe that's the kind of the flip side of he doesn't want to bring through youth. But I think he he will play youth when he knows that they're ready. And mm. for example, Cameron Archer, Aaron Ramsey, Jadon Philogene, he was happy to um, play them, you know, and to be a part of the squad. But there was reasons why they were sold, obviously for financial reasons. So I don't see it as an issue. And as I say, Villa have signed these players not to loan them out in terms of Costa and Lionel Sousa for the civil future and then sell them. I don't think that's the case here. I think this is the case of they will be playing under Emery in the next year uh, to two years, etc. And as I say, Villeneuve need to be careful with what they spend in the coming seasons as they try and bridge the gap, mm. signing youth players on lower wages, you know, with the opportunity to develop, as we keep saying, and one of the best managers in world football, that's an opportunity for them and they will take it. It's just, you know they need to be ready when they are called upon, and I think yeah, you know Tim is further than anyone else. Maybe Kane is there as well, but they've still got a lot to learn and a lot to do, and they will get competitive minutes kind of shortly. Whether that's as short as you know the, the coming weeks because the season ends in three months—that's mm. not a long time. So um, yeah, we saw Tim on, Tim come on in the last few minutes at Fulham, and he he did well for the kind of few minutes that he had. He, I think he won the ball back twice, uh, and. I I don't think he uh, misplaced the pass or anything. So, you know, again, good positive experience, but this is now to be translated and in the coming months and, you know, year or so as to ninety minutes. And again, he's not playing for no disrespect to any other team further down the league, i.e. Crystal Palace or something or Forest, but he's playing for a team that's trying to get top four. So um mm. yeah, they have to be they have to be ready. There's
1: a question from David who says, I asked the same question last time, but what would you do with ticket prices next year? And I'm gonna to apologise to David and say that once again, we can't do that question just yet because we're running out of time for our recording session. And there's another couple I want to do that are more quick We could dedicate 20 minutes, 25 minutes to the finances side of Villa, FFP, PSR, ticket prices, season ticket prices, merchandise, stadium costs, all these different things. Sadly, we don't have time to get into that today. So apologies to David, but we will touch on that either in next week's episode or, like I say, dedicate a whole episode to finances when one, we know more about it and two, we have more time to actually go into it properly and give it a a proper answer and some actual research, I suppose, rather than just, oh, well, we might need to sell some players and kind of guess our way through it. Let's do a couple of random quickfire ones then. Um, James says, what are you doing with Duran in the summer? And I replied to this on Twitter and said, makes it sound like we've got holiday booked. Are we going to Ibiza or going skiing in the yeah. Alps? Or what, what are you doing with Duran? Uh, but obviously it means what are we doing football-wise with John Duran in the summer when he returns from injury at some point, what, in the next few weeks, maybe? Was it April or something?
0: Before April, hopefully. Um, Emery said as early as the first kind of round of Conference League again. So you, I'd place it around like mid-March. So maybe like three weeks, two, three weeks or not. Keep him. Number two striker for me. I, I rate Duran very highly. I, I don't see the kind of the big... Uh, issue with Duran, I really don't. I think he's a very good player and he makes an impact when he comes off the bench and he's 21 years old, again, on a low wage, which helps Aston Villa. Um, He's got a lot of potential. He's got all the physical capabilities to play in the Premier League. He will score more goals as he goes on, as he gets more experience. And Ollie Watkins has said before that he likes to be the number one striker. He doesn't like the pressure sometimes of having someone who um will displace him. Duran knows his role whether he likes it or not. I'm sure um you know he'll kind of get over not playing as much as he wants to when he starts to score goals maybe in the Champions League or the Europa League and stuff like that. I just I don't see that as a big issue. I really don't I know fans um say a lot about Duran that we need more experience up front and whatnot. But do Villa have an issue with their attack this season? For me, it's probably the best it's ever been. Mm. In, you know, arguably in the Premier League era, genuinely. Like, we're scoring that many goals. Ollie Watkins is going to probably break Dwight York's goal involvements in a Premier League season. they would be if- very
1: disappointed if he didn't. He's only four yeah. away, isn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I should have said goals. Um outright but that's my part of like we can look at oh well but Duran isn't doing his you know what, what's this what's that. I don't like it's ultimately it's a collective like Leon Bailey's mm-hmm. having the best career is um of his uh best career of his career best season of his career the RB is a player who will be coming good soon Ramsey's getting back into form Teelewins is playing exceptionally well in that kind of role behind Watkins um there's more that I can't quite remember now um but that's my point. And Duran for me, just gets a bit of stick because, well, I'm not too not too sure why. It's his first year in England coming from yeah. America. Then, obviously, before that, Columbia. It's a completely new culture. He's young. But when he plays on the pitch, for me, he's improved a lot over the last year. He really has. And, again, I keep saying, if he does more improvement over the next year, well, then we've got a really good player on our hands there. And whether then you want to sell him for X amount or... Um, whatever it may be, to bring someone else in. I don't know. But for me, I I don't understand the issue with it, whether there's something behind the scenes of him not um, working, you know, particularly hard in in Emery's structure and his tactical ideas and stuff. Well, that can be expected, I think, sometimes with a younger player who probably doesn't want to sit in so many meetings and whatever. And again, this is a completely new way for him in terms of living, in terms of working under a top, top, top coach. He's never had that before. So I think we need to kind of reduce... The criticism, I'm not saying the question was criticising Duran. I think it was just an open question. But for me, I, I like him and I don't see the issue with him. I, I think almost we're trying to find an issue with him sometimes, mm. in, in my honest opinion. Um, we don't need a backup to Ollie Watkins that's going to get 20 goals. Or whatever. I mean, that wouldn't happen anywhere. But you know what I mean? We don't need someone who's as good as or nearly as good as Watkins because firstly, money. Secondly, as I say, Watkins, he wants to be the main man. He, he enjoys that pressure of being the only guy who's going to lead Villa throughout our whole season.
1: And that's working so far.
0: Yeah, and Duran's bubbling and you know bubbling underneath sort of thing. Like I, I think it's a perfect balance. And the goals and the output have you know, proved that over the last season. So for me, it's no issue.
1: Again, a couple of quickfire silly ones here. Uh, AVC, AVFC Faithful tweeted me before we started filming saying, I forgot to ask a question. And he asked a question every single week and then came up with, where do you think Unai Emery's favourite takeaway is? <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that question? <laughs> the only thing I could think of was that—is there anywhere near Bodymore
0: Heath? Because we always joke about oh, him we... like staying late and stuff. <laughs> yeah, are I, takeaways
1: I, on the route to Bodymore Heath? You're aware of?
0: I, would, you know I, I, I was going to say he goes up to the canteen and asks for a little paper bag or whatever, like, paper bag. You wouldn't fill out of a bag, a little, you know, those little cardboard boxes. You ask when you can't eat your dinner at the like uh, a little or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that I think would be a takeaway and he'd go downstairs and then eat it uh, in his little hideout or whatever. I don't know. Um, I'm not from, um, I'm south of Bodymore and it's pretty much just a motorway there. So um, Yeah, there's nothing behind Bodymore, not, is there? I'm not from around like Sutton Coalfield or whatever, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know myself.
1: If anyone's got any recommendations for Uno Emory's takeaways, let us, let us know in the comments down below. That's like a good idea for a title for a podcast, isn't it? Uno Emory's Takeaways. <laughs> um, another food-related one from Holly who asked the question earlier. What's your go-to food when you go to a match? It's a Slightly different for you because you're home and away, and I assume there's press food and stuff. But yeah. I before that as a fan, would you have chips and curry sauce or
0: I, I would always go to the the burger van the you know the leggy water fan when he's had the main Mayo. yeah, 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 yeah. That burger van there is one that I always would go to. It's always good. I just add like uh, um, sometimes I treat myself to a steak burger, but then mm. at the time it's just a kind of standard beef burger. But that, that that was my go to burger van. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'd I would only I don't do this every game. I'd only do it if it's like a afternoon, you know, half five kickoff or something. I think oh, I'm probably going to be hungry afterwards.
0: Do not eat it every um, game. If it's sure like three like
1: o'clock, I won't bother. No.
0: Nah. you wouldn't bother. What time do you get to the ground?
1: normally we park up like an hour before
0: oh so you're quite late like, well, i getting...
1: get to like the area of villa park when team news drops generally like i'll get news oh, on my phone in the car and okay. then walk up and take my seat and whatnot so i wouldn't oh. if it was if i got there for two o'clock for three o'clock i wouldn't eat but yeah there's a burger man slightly further up trinity road we go to and i would always go burger as well but i went hot dog at some point last year and they're not this big Massive, it's only like four pounds yeah. fifty or something. So, hot dogs, <laughs> are what I'll go for. I wouldn't buy food in the ground. I, I think I had chips of course sauce once, like a few months ago. It's the first time I've eaten inside the ground for like three years.
0: It's, it's, everything's just so expensive. Like, not yeah. talking about Villa Park, I meant like in Sainsbury's, like everywhere, <laughs> everywhere's expensive these days. <laughs> press food saves me a bit, but sometimes yeah. I don't like the press food, which like sounds very ungrateful, but I'm not a fan of like uh, like lasagna, for example. I'm not, I don't like cheese. Oh, Sometimes when it's lasagna, like Chelsea the other week was in the FA Cup. I was couldn't wait to get there because the food's always so good. And they brought lasagna. I was like, oh, got it. I've been buzzing I had, with that. Yeah, I had like four plates of like different things that they do. That well, Again, I, that's why I wasn't complaining because there was like beef um, okay. and like prawns and stuff. Which is I've heard good
1: problem. things about Chelsea's press food offerings. I think that's the best place from what I've heard.
0: Yeah, from the grounds I've been at for press, Chelsea, um, was very good as well. I'd expect, expect good them. things of Tottenham. Tottenham, Tottenham. Yeah, so the three London clubs are always good. Man United uh, was good because it was like a buffet, so it was like all you can eat pretty much. Oh, wow, okay. Um, but the kind of quality was a bit behind, but I'm not <laughs> complaining because I prefer to eat more than like less, and I'm still hungry, even if it was nice, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Uh, you prefer
1: more remember. crap food than less good food?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because in, okay. in oh, especially away games, home games are bad. But away, for example, Fulham, I left the house at, 8am and i didn't get back till about 10 or 11 um which means that if you don't have a good lunch that they give you if that makes sense you haven't eaten like a meal until you get home until nearly midnight swing so um and you need to have something really and full have steps of the game to be fair so that was good i had mm. two loads of carrot cake um no, nice. yeah yeah and it was good so yeah, I obviously um, they're like a curry.
1: Uh, I love how that section was quick-farm. We've probably spent l- the longest answering a question so far of the episode on, on random food. Uh, so to end, let's do a football-related one. Uh, two questions kind of in one here from Adrian. Uh, oh, was two from Adrian. No way. Okay, I don't know whether that's <laughs> the same Adrian or whether it's the, if it's different. But <laughs> no Adrian way. and Adrian. say, looking at the remaining fixtures for Villa, Spurs and Man United, and can see them all getting 21 points status yeah. quo and we remain in the top four. So I'll ask you as a spin-off to that, a points target for the next three games. And he also says, or another Adrian says, how much do you think the Europa Conference League will affect our running, bearing in mind that Tottenham and Man United don't have European commitments? Forest, Luton and Tottenham next for Villa. What's the expected points though, or the XP for us?
0: Minimum of seven. You oh, can okay. kind of work, work that whichever way you want because we need to beat Nottingham Forest at home and we can't lose to Tottenham. If we beat Luton, then a draw would be you know acceptable, I suppose, depending on the context of the game. But then if you beat Forest and then you draw to Luton, you're going to want to beat Tottenham, aren't you? So mm. I think whichever way you look at it, seven points is the minimum. But I want nine because, as I say, if you take every game individually, well, Forest at home, we need to win that. Luton away, you go there wanting to win again. You know, for as good as they have been for Luton, they are fourth bottom. And then Tottenham at home, you're going to want to win because it's a it's a clear rival. So minimum seven, but we would, can get nine.
1: Would six be acceptable if three of that six came from beating Tottenham? It means that's a game we well, can't get think- anything. So let's say you beat Forest, lost to Luton, and beat Spurs. Would that still be
0: the issue? The issue I think we have there is if we lose to Luton and Tottenham beat Palace, then it kind of rules out what we've just done against Fulham. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so then
1: if we beat Spurs as well,
0: yeah, but then kind of back what, to where we are, I, I, I get it, but I just think you don't. I don't want to. I understand where you're going with it, but I, I know what you mean. is in like if you're going to lose a game, anyone but Tottenham, right? Mm, but yeah, I just think minimum seven because losing to Luton just isn't it's just not a good result for full, full stop, To be honest, so I, I think we have to look at it over the course of you know the remaining 13 games. You don't want to lose to those teams who are clearly fighting for relegation, although they'll be difficult. Um, but yeah, I think Villa can get 20 points, which would put them or 21 points. As Adrian said, that would put them on. Would that be 70, 70 then? 70, yeah. Yeah, which should should be enough to <laughs> achieve definitely more for the, fifth. Should be. Should be, yeah. And the only thing that's kind of I don't know, um, making a bit nervous about that is that United are. You know, they seem to be getting lucky with the way that they're playing at some points, but they are getting the points. They're on a good run. And I think mm-hmm. they could get 70. They could. And I think Tottenham could get 70. Could we get 70? Yes. So it, it, I don't not know. it's sure all about
1: that, you know. But Villa need 21 yeah. to get to 70. Tottenham yeah. need 26. 26. Are Tottenham are going to get 26 points from the next 13? Two points a game?
0: Well, they can, though, because their games are... Okay. They have I don't a think,
1: think Manny Noah will get to 70 points.
0: Let me load up Tottenham Sixers for you right
1: now. While we're doing that, I'll very quickly answer the Conference League thing. That will be a factor, by the way. We played the first Conference League game before Spurs and the second leg after Spurs. That's a massive trio games, isn't it? Knockout, Spurs, knockout. Uh, So that will have an impact, of course. Tottenham don't have that. Man United are out of the Champions League. So, yes, they don't have the extra games that we do. But, again, the level is that I've got winnable games in the Conference League, whoever they play, the standard is not as high as what the games they'll be playing in the Premier League. It's just that extra workload and the fixtures and um, fatigue is the F word I was looking for. So yes, that will be a factor, of course. But having said that, I still don't think United, I'm looking at the league table, I don't see United getting 26 points from 13 games.
0: Tottenham, in terms of the fixture list, this is what I was trying to allude to in terms of Tottenham have got some difficult games, but they have winnable. So Palace at home is winnable. Fulham away as we've seen, is, you know, winnable. If Tottenham play well, they win that game. So, Palace, Fulham, Luton, West Ham, Nottingham, Forest. They play Newcastle, who aren't particularly great. Um, But then they have Burnley, Sheffield United at the end of the season. So, that's seven games. We
1: play a lot of those. I'm looking at ours in comparison. We've got... So, for winnable for us, I'd say Forest, Luton, West Ham, Brentford at home, Bournemouth at home, that's five. Brighton away, Palace away, seven. Wolves at home is eight. I'm not saying that we're going to win all of those. I would have those as winnable. Chelsea at home is winnable,
0: yeah, winnable. But I think they are difficult games. Like Wolves at home will be horrible. Chelsea, I think, will be very difficult. Brighton away, very difficult. Even Palace on the last day in the, on the last day. So if we need something, that will be difficult. So yeah. I just I, maybe it's because I'm a Villa fan and I'm kind of coming at it with a bit of anxiety. But I just look at their fixtures and I would prefer their running. I think to Villas, but again, as I said before, I prefer the Villa team. So. I'm with you, Dan, Villa can get twenty one points, which should be enough. But I do think, well, if Tottenham play as well as they can and United play as well as they can, they can also get that amount, which would be okay because Villa would finish above them because they have a a buffer. But one or two slip ups from Villa could be Mm -hmm. detrimental. So that's the kind of that kind of brings me back to the well, we need to just beat Forest. We need to then just beat Luton and forget what comes I know that's what we're looking at, but it all just really matters what we do. On a, like an individual basis, because if we look too far, we could get caught out against Luton. Even Forrest Forest beat Nottingham. Sorry, Forest beat Newcastle away, and um, a scrapping for points. And they've got a decent team. Gibbs White is an exceptional player, and mm-hmm. Allen is a good striker. You know, there's quality there. Alanga, Hudson, Doyle, Pacer wingers. There's, there's threats there. So Villa need to just win that game by hook or by crook, whatever it may be. 3-0, 1-0, it goes in from an own goal, whatever it made
1: it. Yeah, and that will wrap up the show then. 13 more cup finals for Villa to go, plus the Conference <laughs> League games that will be knockout for their cup finals and then maybe their actual cup final at the end of it as well. So lots of cup finals for Villa from now to the end of the season. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining me on this Monday morning to answer all the viewer questions. Uh, it's been good fun as always. Uh, you can get involved with the Clout and podcast by scrolling down to the comments and sharing your thoughts on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as well. Uh, we'll be back later in the week with something else. And if not, it'll be Nottingham Forest preview and Nottingham Forest post-match at the weekend. Uh, cheers, everyone, for watching or listening. And we'll see you again very soon.